the abortion rate would fall sharply and silly young girls could get on with the education that is meant to produce serious, responsible taxpayers. You see, that's what you're for. Uh, uh, this is a typical bureaucrat talking. Your, your job in this life, your, your, your reason for being is to be a taxpayer, not benefit recipients. Now, we're back with more of this article after the following messages. It's very interesting. Listening to the National Intel Report with your host, John Stadtmiller. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watt, filling in for John Stadtmiller for this coming hour. I'm back on later tonight at 8 p.m. on the same station. Just reading an article that fits in with what I'm talking about from the Daily Mail from Britain, talking about this uh, how sterilization and so on is not so bad an idea after all. And, and I'll go on to callers after I've read this. I said, the abortion rate would fall sharply until young girls could get on with their education, meant to be serious, responsible taxpayers, not benefit recipients. Now, many people will see this modest proposal as little short of horrific, nothing less than state interference in our reproductive lives. But think about it, it might not be such a bad idea. We are moving into a science fiction age in which life itself can be created in a test tube. And it seems that before long, perfect babies could be bred at will, largely free of hereditary disease and illness. Now that's straight out of, uh, again, um, H.G. Wells's books from the 19, early 1900s. He talked about the elimination of inferior types, how they'd breed them out of existence or simply euthanize them and get rid of them. So can you continue with the article? So in my view, there's little point anymore in feeling shock and horror at the idea of mass sterilization. This is in the newspapers. This is mainstream newspapers. Neither do I believe it will encourage promiscuity because girls will feel they have nothing to fear in sleeping around. In truth, they seem to be doing that already. Of course they are. It's been promoted everywhere you look. I'm afraid we're now in a time when sex is mere recreational pleasure to thousands of young women. That's what it was intended to be when they brought out this system. The trouble is that pregnancy no longer holds the fear for teenagers it once did. The social stigma has gone. Indeed, for many years, it seems a child has actually become a kind of perverse badge of honor. Obviously, there are millions of sensible young girls, but for many, having a baby seems to be the logical and even desirable result of their teenage flings. People should read this particular article because there's so much spin in it, so much disinformation, but it's also predictive programming. And the writer, the author, does not go into the history and does not go into the fact that the culture industry created the very problem in the first place. And it did it intentionally so that writers like this could write this kind of stuff exactly at this day and age that we're going through now. Now we've got Mo in Oregon. Are you there, Mo? Indeed. Uh, hello? Hello. 
thank you very much, Alan. Uh, uh, Taking my call. Uh, there is a few things I need to talk. The first thing is, last time I talked about the, the rebate advance tax that uh, the stimulus package that they have passed. And uh, IRS.gov, three days ago, it was said rebate advance. And today they have changed the information a little bit. And uh, then I called Miss Wood in IRS at 1-800-829-1040. And she doesn't know anything about it. She said to, to me, I, I, told, I asked her uh, simple questions. Is this real rebate or is this rebate advance? And do you, are you guys going to charge us uh, tax on that? I mean, if, for example, I'm married and I get 1200 extra, uh, will, do I have to pay you back? And how much am I going to give you pay back on 2008 uh, income tax? And I asked her so much this, she says she doesn't know. And uh, then I, I told her I need to talk to your supervisor. So I talked to the supervisor. Supervisor was said, I'm sorry, we don't have any information. So they, they, they asked me to, call, uh, to tell everyone, call their senators. They called both houses uh, of in United States and tell them, what the hell is this? We want real rebate. We don't want rebate advance. And if it's this yeah, is the, 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 the thing is, this, this con has been pulled year after year for the last 50 years. And, you know, you're going to get nothing back from government. Government takes, it doesn't give. Government does not create wealth. It simply t if it exists on your tax money. Exist. All of the things it hands out to, to NGO groups and so on is all from you. you see, you're a slave. That, that's the bottom line. I've, I've talked to people in government in Canada, and, and they tell you quite openly that everybody works for the government. We all work for the government. We are a slave to government. And so yeah, you're not going to get justice in this fake system because it's not meant to give you justice. It's meant to create an illusion that you have a right to do one thing in democracy. Look up the one thing you're allowed to do, and that is vote. They, they'll present the people to vote for, for you to, to vote for, but um, that's the only right you have. Once they're in office, they can do whatever they want and, and even put handcuffs on you. They don't care, and, and you have no comeback on what they do. You have only the right to vote, and that's, that's a fact. People have inquired into that under democracy, what are our rights, and especially in, in the British system and the British Commonwealth system, and that's the only right that you have. You have no written constitution or anything, really. We have this farce of a one for Canada, but that was put out by Pierre Trudeau, who was a member of the Rhodes Scholarship in the Inner Circle at All Souls College, and he was also uh, played the Marxist side too when he was younger. He was allowed to play all sides. And uh, he made sure there was no right to private property written into the Charter of Rights for Canadians. So right. we're conned left, right, and centre. And you can complain and complain to the massive bureaucracy as much as you want. You will not get uh, anything back from them. It's, it's separate from the people. It's so high, it's an ivory tower on its own uh, that there's more deception 
than, than, than real informing of the, to the public. It's just so far removed. It's a dictatorial, massive bureaucracy. And there's no way, really, that you can fix it, as far as I can see. Most decisions, remember, are taken by councils within bureaucracies. We don't vote for bureaucrats. Right. We have no recall of any bureaucrat. They're, they're, they're basically given a free reign to do as they do. Uh, the politicians are just front men that go in. They're appointed to certain departments, health, environment, whatever it is, for a year or something. And they depend on that top bureaucrat who's there for life. Who, he's the only guy who knows the mandate for his particular section, and he is the real boss. He informs the little front man called the politician what to say. His boys, boys write the scripts for them, and the politician fronts to the public. It's all, exactly. a, it's all a farce. Exactly, indeed. I mean, uh, this was the update for the, my prior information I gave you last week or 10 days ago. Yeah. And I want to know that I will keep update because I'm international journalist and I work with many uh, radio stations. And anyway, then uh, I want to just people be uh, alert. People need to be uh, you know, right on the track. If you get this, this rebate check, you will be ending it up to pay with the interest and God knows how much interest they're charging you. And you might even, even, even if they. Hello? Hello? Oh, okay. Um, hey, I'm sorry. There's a, I think we're cut off more. Not from this end. But, um, but I understand what you're saying, and you, if you take this particular rebate, you'll be charged interest down the road, and it's probably going to be compounded per day until you end up paying it back. Now, we've got Patrick from the UK there. Are you there, Patrick? Hello. Hello, yes. Hello. No, well, first of all, thank you very much for your consistently good program. You are the true historian educating us all. But just regarding Charles Darwin, could I ask you a question? Because the BBC are forever promoting Charles Darwin ethic. Isn't it true that Charles Darwin, when he was studying man and animals, had no interest in proving uh, that we were descended from apes until his youngest daughter died and he suffered terrible bereavement at that point. And from that point on, he set out to prove that there was no God. Am I correct in that? It's, it's partly a myth, I'll tell you, because when he came out with The Origin of Species had been already written by his grandfather. I see. You see this is a family thing. The, the Darwins are an interesting family, one of many families uh, that became well-known in Britain and doing the same thing as many of these families. You see, they were already practicing his theories before he was mm -hmm. even born because the I Darwin see. family only interbred uh, with the Wedgwood family. His grandfather married a Wedgwood, his father married a Wedgwood, he married a Wedgwood. When his wife died, he married his sister's, his mother's sister, who was also Wedgwood. They were, they were interbreeding for what they already believed in was genetic superiority, uh, even before he was born, and he did the same thing. I see. And just another thing you may know this, I know you're very up to date on what happens in the British media, but the, one of the biggest suppliers of vaccinations in the UK, Paul Drayson, uh, was, gave money to the Labour Party and is now in the government and uh, is in the Department of Defence, no less. Uh, but uh, th therefore you have the government here promoting, as you've just touched on, a vaccination for 12-year-old girls to prevent cervical cancer in years, years uh, ahead. Well, the statistics prove that that is a very, very small uh, disorder and disease in women. 
Mm-hmm. It, it yeah. proves that, but it's also uh, the big Merck company, I think, is behind it. Um, yes. Since when? No, no, Merck has already published a statement saying that their goal is to eradicate um, amongst the population of the world um, only, only two or three types of viruses. Now, there's, there's dozens of them that, that, that infect uh, the venereal uh, um, yeah. um, problem, and this is supposedly only going to affect two or three of them. So you're right, it's min- a minuscule amount. And uh, since when do private corporations uh, mandate government policies to the public? And put in the House of Lords to promote vaccinations in, in the Ministry of Defence as well. But thank you very much for your, for your programme, and I just, just wanted to clarify that point. Yeah, thanks for calling. Uh, thank you, thank you, Arnold. Thank you. I'll be back with more after the following messages. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt, filling in for John Stadmiller, and we've got half an hour to go, and we're just talking here about Darwin, with Patrick from the UK, and it's amazing how they can present fallacies to us, but they're not in the business, the media is not in the business of, of really informing us of truth that's meant to fascinate us, and have us all talking, and parroting what they tell us. And that becomes your general conversation, what's on the news the previous night or the History Channel or whatever. The History Channel is full of so much bunkum. It's just, uh, to me, that is fantastic. That's a fantastic voyage if you watch that nonsense. Because whole chunks of history and reality are taken out of the past. But then, like George Orwell said, all, all the bad stuff must be put down the memory hole where it's burned and lost to the, to the world. Darwin was an amazing character. Now, he, he joined the Royal Institute as his father before him. The Royal Institute is a Freemasonically created scientific society. The Royal Society, I should say. The Royal Society. And they're all, again, integrated with the Royal, uh, the, the, Royal um, uh, the, the, the CFR and so on. They're all part of the same thing, same sort of networking groups. It's meant to be an elite organization that asks you in as a member. You can't apply and be taken in. But the Royal Society uh, goes back quite a ways, quite some time. They were, the guy, they were the guys who funded big expeditions into Africa for Livingston and, and other people, uh, not just under the guise of spreading the jolly old gospel uh, to the poor natives who didn't understand that Jesus could save them uh, from, from everything that they had to own at that time, and that the British wanted to take over, uh, they funded people like Livingston to also start up enterprises in Africa for the elite themselves, and of course they've got shares in it. It was highly integrated too with the East India Company, again owned by the royal families of Britain and Holland and some other countries in Europe, all working together. Countries are nothing but corporations with figureheads at the top of the particular symbol that runs them. And corporations go into countries under many guises. They've always used religion. They always put in their advance guards, and that's generally ministers and so on, who will then uh, soften up the heads of the natives who generally should fight them and kick them off. 
But once your, your head is softened up and you're taught not to kill, you start to lose those things. You think, my God, I'll commit a sin. God will see me doing it. And you become prey to the top predators on the planet who follow in behind the ministers with armies. And that's how the British Empire was created. You send in the softening up crew with their little black books, and then you back it up with the red tunics and the bayonet. Uh, all, again, going back to big institutions, big institutions that work with government for an establishment that does not run by democratic means or methods. It gives you the pretense of helping to run your government by giving you a vote in something called democracy. So that a pre-existing plan can be put into being and, and, and fomented down through time. Without democracy, they'd have revolutions every few years. So we are allowed to vote every few years, hoping that things will just get better. And it never does. And everything that happens in society, just like that article I read from the Daily Mail, here they are blaming young girls for promiscuity. And meanwhile, the same characters from the same media elite have been promoting nothing but have fun, have fun, have fun. Uh, the fashion industry works hand in glove with them. They, they advertise through the same media. And you have also the TV working at it to create this promiscuous society because that's the agenda. As Bertrand Russell found out in the 1920s, the more promiscuity you can promote, the less chance there is of a male or a female bonding for any length of time down the road. Very old technique works very well, but they always like to blame the victim. Remember, the abuser always blames the victim for what happened. Psychopaths are known for that. Psychopaths can stand up in court and say amazing things about their victims, no matter what they've done to that victim, and they'll, they'll rationalize it in such a way that only a psychopath could possibly accept, because normal people could never we are, but we are run by a scientific elite who generally are picked for their own psychopathic traits. Quite a system we live in, isn't it? And there's so much confusion. We've lost all of the old ways, the bonding, the things that kept us all together, the empathy that used to help us through the bad times, empathy for others who would then have empathy for you when you went through the bad times. Government has stepped in and set up welfare agencies, child care agencies, all these agencies that take away all the rights of the people to help each other in a natural way. And those agencies then become authoritarian and then they dictate laws to you. Big difference. And that was planned as well. And written about how it be done. I've lived through a good part of it, watched it implemented and the public are completely ignorant of how it came about. Last night on another show, I talked about how authority is obeyed, how we're taught to obey authority through experiments. Get the book called Obedience to Authority by Stanley Nogram. Interesting read. Back after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
listening to the National Intel Report, the real talk radio show. Hi, I am Alan Watt, cutting through the matrix, and I'm standing in for John Stadmiller. We'll look into the show tonight at 8 p.m. I'll be back on again on my regular show on the same station. For those who don't have my books, look into the site I have, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, and you'll see how to order them. Also, you can send donations. That keeps me going. It's expensive keeping all this going here. I don't ask any of the stations for money. I don't get paid for what I do. I do it because it has to be done. I do it because someone had to come out for the first time and cut through this mess that we have uh, even in, within the Patriot movement to give them a higher, more fuller understanding of not only where we're going, but how we got to where we are. You've got to understand the past to know how it all comes together, and you've got to go through all the big books to find out where they plan to go with it. Nothing, but nothing is just happening by happenstance in the system. It's planned that way. Wells himself talked about two world wars being necessary both with Germany, in a fictional setting. He wasn't a lone author. He had a whole staff of people and writers working with him, paid for again by the establishment in Britain. He was given the agenda by the associations he was brought into, which included professors, professors from the biggest universities in England, who worked themselves on this particular agenda. And he wrote stories around them, predictive programming stories. He brought the shape of things, he wrote the shape of things to come with two world wars with Germany. And then a third world war would come. The last war, supposedly, the British forces or this elite, the scientific elite of the superior types, the natural aristocracy as they call themselves at the top, they would eventually go into the country they conquered and set up a world air base where they would become the policemen of the air. They call themselves a Freemasonry, a new brotherhood of the air. That's in his book. Try and get the old black and white movie. It's very well done in a rather quick version. You can get all of the book into a movie, but they got a lot. An old black and white with Raymond Massey called Shape of Things to Come. But the interesting part, well, many of the interesting parts, but this is one of them, was the fact that the country eventually conquered and set up their base for the world, where they could gas the people around the world who didn't comply, subdue them, tranquilize them, kind of like the spring we're having today, would be based in Basra, Basra in Iraq. And where did the British troops go in when they went to Iraq? The U.S. went to the north. And Britain based itself in Basra. What a coincidence. All those years later, all those years later, they're very good with their coincidences because there's nothing coincidental at all. Long-term plans, including wars, are discussed by big think tanks paid by big institutions not to make mistakes. That's why the best minds in their, in their particular fields are brought in by these agencies and paid handsomely to keep quiet about what they're really doing. A good book to read, a good book, I was just thinking about that, uh, was called Darwin and the New World Order. 
That's for Patrick, if you're still listening. And the author was Ian Taylor. Ian Taylor is a scientist in Canada, I believe. And he has the documentation on Darwin and his inbreeding and much, much more to do with the whole theory of evolution. He demolishes it scientifically. But he tells you it's basically a religion that's promoted by the elite. Very interesting book, Darwin and the New World Order. You may be able to get it second-hand. I don't know if it's still in print. Or try your libraries. As I always advocate the libraries, it's good to keep them going. Because eventually, you'll find on the Internet, all uh, the sites that give you books will disappear. And you'll be left, I'm actually leaving you trash. Perhaps that will happen too. I know that when you go into the main ones for dictionaries and so on, it's just like George Orwell said, every year they're getting thinner and thinner as they create linguistic minimalism. That's the fact that if you can eliminate descriptive language from the language itself and reduce the vocabulary, you cannot convey full ideas to anyone. George Orwell had it in his book, 1984, a department of the dictionary. And when they reduce it to a state where it's very difficult to get an idea across, there'll be no more terror. You can't be a thought criminal if you can't convey your message to someone else. Quite simple. And they call it linguistic minimalism at the top. That's been done. Look at the dictionaries from 100 years ago. Look at the ones today. Youngsters pick up and mimic what they hear on television the new words are given, and they repeat them, just like, just like monkeys do. Monkey see, monkey do. That's where the new vocabulary comes in. It's minimalistic vocabulary, and rather than explain in a sentence in detail what they mean, they'll say totally, etc., and awesome. Eventually, plus good and plus bad. That is part of the plan. It's interesting that George Orwell also put in his book 1984, written in 1948. He simply reversed the last two numbers. And the original book he wanted to call The Last Man, meaning the last sentient man. But it was his, his publisher who wanted to change it to 1984. It's all about the last sentient people and what you'll have to go through, including how to torture people and have them say anything, confess anything to the whole world on television. Just like these characters will shortly see uh, that the military's been torturing for six years in Guantanamo Bay. We're going to take the can for something they probably didn't do. Nothing but nothing happens by chance. We're living in a big drama, a big drama where all the main events are scripted for the public where the public have been brought to such a low level of understanding, where baseness in all areas has been promoted to the nth degree, that there's no critical thinking abilities left within them. Look how long they'll drivel on something uh, like a murder in the newspaper. O.J. Simpson, for instance. Or pick some little, little starlet that's no different from millions of other women in reality and have millions of people talking about them as though it mattered. They say there's seven, seven billion or more people on the planet, but they can get half a 
of it talking about one little person as though it really mattered. Meanwhile, the important things are missed by everyone. The things that matter in your personal life are missed. You're wrapped up in fiction. There's nothing that comes across television that's true. Nothing is true. Nothing is straightforward truth. Never will be. It's an illusion. And it's a great tool. It's conditioned so many generations already who take it all for granted. Years and years ago, I think it was Packard, Vance Packard, that came out with the book, the first book, to the public. It was already available for people in marketing, all that information on how the, the advertising industries would train us to be good consumers and how they had the best writers to put little jingles out with just the right notes that children would, would pick up on and repeat, coupled with words. Repetition, as, as it was said by Russell. They would change society by slogans and repetition. Karl Marx said the same thing, so did Lenin. You wonder where the yellow went when you brush your teeth with Pepsodent. I saw a, a video that was incredible to me. But where they saw, you saw summer camps for children in the U.S. Where people from the big industry, McDonald's and so on, had the, had the children singing the McDonald's song like a choir in a field. How can parents give over their, their children's minds to corporate advertising like that? To be indoctrinated to be good consumers? And those same parents run off to clinics to try and get the obesity of their children down. Or little Johnny is rather sick. His bones are poor when he's eaten all this junk. We are run by the television. It runs people's lives. They're addicted to it. It's hypnotic. The cycles per second on the screen are hypnotic. They match your brain pattern. They put you into the alpha state. It was designed that way from the beginning. They knew it would work too when they put cartoons on years and years ago. During the day, it starts when mummies get up and dads get up. And that child is plonked in front of this television where the first indoctrination starts. Someone sent me a disc recently on some of the latest cartoons for two-year-olds. And one and a half and two-year-olds just plonk them there, visual images. And over and over again, the whole story is about the greening of the planet, how you save the tree, how you save the grass. And that's the whole plot of the little cartoons. And that no sequence lasts more than two and a half seconds. Because if the child looks away for a half second, it'll lose the thread of the story. That's intentional. It's a science. We are run by sciences. Sciences which have become perfected during the days of Skinner and since his day. These sciences are perfected and they are targeting every age group. Everybody has their target. We're all a target audience. And when the teenagers become 25, it's a new audience. 
they're targeted because they know how you're going to feel, what you'll be doing when you're 25, and what will be uppermost in your mind. They'll target you at 40 or 50, because now you're coming to the pensionable age, you see, and the things that are on your mind. Then they target what they call the snowbirds, those with the pension money. Beria, the head of the secret police in the Soviet system in the 1920s and 30s, used to give speeches to the International Communist Committee, the, the Comintern, they call them. And the Comintern had branches in every country, including Canada, and Pierre Trudeau led the Comintern once over in 1952 from Canada. And Pierre, being a good Rhodes Scholar for world citizenship, worked all sides of the fence. Carl Quigley said that their members are allowed to join and actually lead sometimes uh, all kinds of parties, and they even support dictators. They, they play the game with everyone, you see. But Beria said that it used to take 70 years to train a population for the slightest change in their culture. That's how, and meaning it had been done before, obviously. It took 70 years. He said, but now, in 1930, he says, he says we, have it, we have it done to a fine art where we can upgrade the culture every five years. Meaning the children uh, in five years' time that go into school will be given a little bit more of what they're going to face when they hit 20 or 25 the next intake will be given a little bit more yet. In other words, you accept what comes along quite naturally if you've been conditioned at a very early age. It's a perfect science. And it isn't just the children that are updated. Years ago, the so-called Red Bishop, he was actually an Archbishop, I think, of England, the Anglican Church, wrote many books. He belonged to the big UN agencies. And he was all for global governments and everything that they stood for, including the reduction of population, uh, the reduction of the unfit, as they called those at the bottom, just like H.G. Wells. And this red bishop, Bishop, wrote a book, and it was about continuing education. And all through the book, I, there's nothing about going to night school or, or anything like that. It was all to do with propaganda would be the education itself and how they'd have to continuously throughout your entire life upgrade your program, you might say, to get you to accept and accept the next change that's coming, the next change that's coming, and the next change that's coming. Continuous blasting propaganda from all magazines, all newspapers, all TV, radio shows, and, and all the rest of it, and all media, in other words, would be used to make everyone think that everything was developing naturally, but meanwhile, every individual was actually being upgraded like a computer program. And he spoke on behalf of these big foundations, these powerful institutions that were already hard at work running the world and bringing in this great new world order, the scientific dictatorship that Aldo Huxley talked about. Aldo, the grandson of Sir, Sir Thomas Huxley, Darwin's friend. Meanwhile, Aldo Huxley's brother, Julian Huxley, was the first president uh, for uh, the UNESCO. 
These families have agendas, and they breed their children and raise them for their part in the agenda. Julian Huxley gave speeches about UNESCO, this United Nations Educational Society, to bring in a common culture which would obey the world authority. Very obedient culture. You should read the writings by Julian Huxley. They're just as bad and horrific if you understand what Aldo was talking about. Aldo Huxley thought it was fantastic, this brave new world idea. He thought, he thought that the ability to, to breed new types of superior humans, superior in the fact that they could do the jobs better, that is, without any complaints, even without the possibility of complaining about their stations in life, he thought this was, would be marvelous. And from an aristocratic point of view, it would be, because that's what they mean by a utopia. When the general public cannot even think to complain, that that's what it's all about. They've got Richard in Alabama. Are you there, Richard? Hello, Richard. Hi. Yes, go ahead. I want to ask you a question about the way uh, John McCain shakes hands and, uh, and signs autographs. He always yeah. holds his elbows up high. Is that a is that a Masonic symbol or something? Uh, the, the Masonic symbol you'll see every day on television. Uh, you you see them as hand as hand to hand. Uh, they step in with the right foot. Uh, that's totally so knee to knee. They hug each other. The hand goes the left hand goes to the elbow, then to the back, and they whisper in each other's ear. You see it all the time uh, between all these top people across the planet. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix, standing in for John Stadmiller. And I'll be back in an hour's time. Is, is Richard still on the line? Hmm? Is, is Richard still on the line? Yeah. Yeah, if you see them, you, uh, the politicians meet. And I saw that even during the Soviet era, it was quite funny to watch where presidents would meet uh, the presidents from the Soviets and so on. And you see arch enemies meeting other arch enemies, supposedly. And uh, you see them facing each other. They give the right handshake. The left arm goes to the elbow. Uh, the right foot goes into the right foot as they touch foots. And then it's knee to knee. The left hand moves from the elbow off the other guy. And it goes to his back. And it's cheek to cheek. And then they, they whisper something in each other's ear. Uh, that's your common. Actually, it's their five points. They call it the five. The, that's the low meaning of the lower five points of masonry. There's higher ones as well, but that's a low-level one. But you see it all the time as they go through the routine for the public. But the elbows up is not a Masonic symbol. It depends if he's holding his, his, his forearm across his chest. Uh, it's, uh, generally, it's, uh, generally, they use a sort of 45 type degree, sometimes a 90 degree. Well, I just know McCain does. He does all his his uh, autographs with his elbows up, uh -huh. and he does his handshakes with his elbows held high. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it could be, but I, I don't know. Generally, generally, you'll see them, too. They often make the square with their foot. They call it the square, where they, they display their feet to, to create, again, a, a 45 to 90-degree angle. Mm. There, there's lots of different signs they use, including verbal signs. Mm. Yeah. But they'll all be masons for sure at that level. I mean, you know, you can take that for granted. Yeah. Okay. 
that's what happens. We have uh, systems within systems and brotherhoods within brotherhoods. And you can't really get up the top. It's well known that even at the bottom, if you want to get ahead in society, you join one of the lodges because you get up the ladder, as they say, in finance and success. You also cut petty bureaucracy. That's what they let known to the public. Um, you can bypass a lot of the petty paperwork and get things done very quickly. If you're in a good lodge, you can go to the bank manager and get a loan the same day. It's all approved and it'll be in your hands before the bank shuts. There's lots of little perks they get too, uh, tax breaks and various other things too, if they say all the right things to the guy that comes and assesses their home. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it, you can't get to the top without belonging to one of these particular organizations. And same with the females too, the side lodges, they call them. Um, they don't get into the higher secrets, although they think they do. Uh, that's well explained by Mackay in his Encyclopedia of Freemasonry um, and others. But um, uh, the, everyone that's anyone on any board in your area or town or whatever, male or female, will belong to the local lodge. Hmm. Does the Prince Lodge have any real power? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the Prince Hall Lodge. Yeah. Yeah, Albert Pike authorized the, the start-up of it. And uh, it does have power, again, it's to, it's to remember it's an elitist organization uh, that pulls men out of the masses. So even though they think you're following someone who looks like you and appears like you, he believes himself he is superior, and that's why he's been pulled out of the masses. Mm. They give you your leaders, but all peoples have them. They have them in China, too, and Japan. Mm. Well, that's the end of the night, I think, coming up here. Yeah. And uh, I'll be back later in an hour's time. So I'm from Hamish myself, up in Ontario, Canada. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>